Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts, and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference. for another episode of Show About Science. This is your host, Nate. And today, we are going to be interviewing Jim Calcagno about gorillas. Don't go bananas. This is going to be an awesome episode. Hello? Hi, Nate. How are you? I'm great. Great. Good to hear. Now, Jim Calcagno, could you introduce yourself? Well, my name is Jim Calcagno, and I am a professor of anthropology at Loyola University of Chicago, and I'm also the fellowship director there. So I help students with prestigious national fellowships to do research and teach in other places, and I am a biological anthropologist. What's biological anthropologist? Um, within anthropology, there's four key areas generally that are considered. That's cultural anthropology, archaeology, linguistic anthropology, and biological anthropology. And as the name suggests, that has a lot to do with all biological aspects of humans, uh, past and present. And it has a lot to do with culture as well. <laughs> So sometimes I like to consider myself to be a biocultural anthropologist, which looks at how biology and culture interact. And sometimes I also see myself as an evolutionary anthropologist because everything I work on has evolution as a key um, foundation for it. So that's that. So before we compare a human to a gorilla and a gorilla to a chimpanzee uh-huh. and a gorilla to a bonobo. First, we're going to ask this question. Okay. Was my mom a good student? Oh, yeah. Your mom was a very good student. And um, there were times where there were lights that hung down from the ceiling and she'd swing on them during the class. What? I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But she was an excellent student. And not only did I think that, but all the other professors thought that as well. And she was probably a lot like you, always doing her best and uh, doing a good job at what she was asked to do and, you know, going above and beyond what was expected to do. So, uh, your mom was a an excellent student, but you probably already knew that. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. 
So, um, since chimpanzees and humans are a little bit more, I don't know how to say it, like advanced than bonobos, first let's compare a gorilla to a bonobo. Okay. First of all, actually, the bonobos are more similar to us than they are to uh, gorillas. If you look evolutionarily at when species split off, gorillas split off uh, before the chimps. Then eventually we have a split of the chimps into the bonobos and what we see oftentimes are called the more common chimpanzees that people are aware of. So the gorillas are more distant to us, but they're all very close relatives. So now what we're going to do is we're going to compare a gorilla to us. Okay. With bodily functions and traits. Okay. Okay. Well, all of the apes have a lot of similarities to us. Okay. Their sense of vision is really good. Their sense of smell is probably a little bit better than us. But the general senses are the same. One of the key differences with gorillas is body size. They're much bigger than your average human, uh, especially the males. And the males can weigh about 400 pounds, adult males. Females are a little less than half that. So that's another big difference between gorillas and us is that they have what we would call a lot of sexual dimorphism. And that means that the two sexes, the males and the females, are quite a bit different from one another. So males are twice as big, more than twice as big. They have these big canine teeth that project that the females don't have. And with humans, we have a little bit of that kind of sexual dimorphism, but not to the extreme uh, levels that we see in gorillas. And Gorillas are our biggest of all the primates. So, what defies us from the apes? I mean, apes use language and apes use tools. Thanks, Jane Goodall. Yeah. (laughs) And so, what defies us from the chimps and the gorillas and the bonobos? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, okay? And I hope you don't mind if I give you a long answer for it. I don't mind if you give me a long answer. (laughs) Okay, and you already hit on some of the points. So I'm going to give you some ideas here, Uh, and I'm not going to say that, well, everybody would agree with me in terms of what I'm saying, but I think when you get to that question, here are some important things. The first would be, what I would call a fully developed theory of mind, okay? And I want to explain what that might mean by an example. Say you come over to my house and you want a snack and you'd really like it to be candy, okay? And without theory of mind, you're thinking that I want candy, everybody wants candy, or everybody knows I want candy, that's 
in your mind. Okay? With a theory of mind, you're thinking, I want candy, but I bet he's thinking he wants to give me an apple. So you're trying to maybe predict my behavior and understand what I'm thinking. And then on top of that, to make it even more complex, you might say, you know, I bet you he would like to give me candy, but maybe he thinks my parents think he should give me an apple. So now you're even thinking about what your parents are thinking about this situation, and they may not even be here. And you're thinking about what I'm thinking about what your parents are thinking. <laughs> Other animals don't do this. Other animals don't try to analyze what, or have the ability to analyze what all everybody else is maybe thinking internally. Okay. Now this becomes very important because we're really concerned about how others think about us and what others are thinking in terms of do they trust us? Do I trust them? Uh, how do we gauge that? And that has a very big impact on how we behave. So basically what you were saying is that other animals do not think about others' feelings and what they're thinking about. They can understand, like, perhaps others' intentions. You know, like if a gorilla has a threat, it does a threat gesture, like beats its chest, okay? They will understand, hey, this is a threat, and they may either back off or they may challenge, okay? But they're not really understanding what's in the mind of that gorilla and what other animals are around them are thinking about in terms of this interaction that's going on. So we're really trying to assess and understand the mind of each other. And then on top of that, something you just brought up a little bit ago is we have this really complex language, okay, so that I can actually explain to you what we mean by theory of mind, okay? Animals can communicate. And just like I said, they understand these gestures and these threats. And, you know, there's been nice studies that show that, for example, the, the kind of a call that a monkey gives out might say that, well, there's a predator high in the trees or there's a predator on the ground. You know, they give these general ideas, but they don't have the specificity where we can say, hey, there's going to be a problem at about 4 o'clock when this thing comes in here, so you should maybe do X and then do Y and then do Z in preparation for that, right? We have a really complex way of communicating, okay? which ties then into our theory of mind in terms of how we understand each other and understand what's going on in other people's minds. So people can tell you, well, this is how I feel, and then you might assess, well, is that how they really feel? Or are they just saying that to make me feel better? And you kind of place yourself in the context of what you think other people are thinking. Now, here's a third part. So we've got the theory of mind, and we've got the complex language. And then on top of it, this is my, like my favorite part of it. We have great empathy, okay? We have this kind of built-in what I would call an evolved psychology, 
where we literally feel the pain and the joy of others. This happens all the time. You know, if you see somebody who gets hurt, you maybe cringe. If you see somebody who's really happy and things worked out so well, you feel happy as well. And that's really important. For a long time, we saw humans and a lot of other species just as kind of in constant competition. And we have that competition, that's for sure. But we also have this great empathy for others that makes us feel good and especially makes us feel good when we do things that help others. And this empathy goes across, not just across human populations, but we can have it toward non-humans as well. And that's maybe part of the reason you're even interested in asking about gorillas. Gorillas probably don't care about humans, right? Other species don't think about, hmm, how can I save the humans, right? But because we have this empathy, we are bothered when we see uh, both humans and non-humans suffer, and we feel their joy when they're doing well. So a fourth point, okay, I'm going to add to this. And this is something that may sound a bit surprising, but I think what's really important is we are really tremendous imitators. Okay, we can imitate with great precision and we can do things consistently generation after generation after generation. Other species, they often can carry on some unusual behaviors but oftentimes they may come and go, some particular traditions. Whereas we can kind of lock these things in place into our particular culture, and that culture continues that behavior until maybe someone changes it a bit, ratchets it up, what we might call a, a ratchet effect, where they kind of ratchet it up, they innovate something, and then we get maybe a new and improved version of that. It may not work out so well in the long run, but we continue to develop these cultural traditions that take us further and further in a direction because we can hold stuff into place for a long time and then improve upon it. And then finally, I told you this was going to be a long answer, <laughs> but finally we have something called niche construction. Uh, and that is basically we build our own world, right? We have our houses, we have our cars, we have planes, we have the schools. Everything that's out there is human built for us now. And when you go to school in the morning, you don't really have to worry about a leopard coming out to get you, right? Our concerns are not particular dangers like that, but of key concern is other humans and other things that we've built and we've constructed. So we have to be cautious about this, I think, because that constructed world that we make out there also affects all other species on the planet. Right? So we have, in my mind, a responsibility not only to construct that world in ways that helps other humans, but also keeps other species in mind for their benefit. So that was my kind of long answer, fully developed theory of mind, complex language, great empathy, 
great imitation with the ability to ratchet that up, and then niche construction. Thank you for being on the show. Is that all you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> Can I bring up one more thing for you? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say I appreciate what you're doing. Science is, is extremely important, and I think uh, you're doing a great job. I just want to leave you with something I think is important. It took me a long time to figure this out myself, and you're going to hear it from me very early in life. What I would always recommend, and, and I think you're doing that already, is to do what you love to do. Okay, Do what you love, and along the way, also help as many people as you can. That would be my advice, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tell my students that you should be selfish by helping others. And what I mean by that is goes back to that empathy. Because you kind of feel the pain and the, the joy of other people, that when you really help someone and they feel really good, you feel really good, right? You, you've probably felt that many times already with the kind of work you do. Yep. Yeah. And so that's really important. And you don't have to, you know, go into any particular profession to do that. You don't have to be a doctor to help people. You just have to do what you love to do and enjoy it and then try to help people, you know, along the way. That is, I think, you know, one of the most important things. If you want to be happy in life, you want to be a happy human, <laughs> use that evolved psychology that we have of helping others. So those theories are very good. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. Uh, tell your mom I said hello. I will. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Dad, you can shut the recording off. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.